The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads, quit wondering if that fedora goes with your Nike jogging suit and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 344, recorded live Saturday, May 3rd, 2008, from the Dallas Tech Fest. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. And by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. Support is also provided by Data Dynamics. Makers of ActiveReports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET Web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. And by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who brings a little New England charm to all y'all... Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell here for your .NET listening pleasure. We are here, as we always are, twice a week. Today's Thursday, of course. Love a Thursday show. You're probably driving. Probably. Well, I'm not, but you are. Well, not not me. You, listener, probably driving. (laughs) Watch out for that squirrel. None of that. Yeah. And, uh, well, what's up with you, Richard? How's your renovation going? I haven't talked to you about that in a minute. Oh, I'm living in half a house. Well, I'm not living in half a house. You know, we rented a house down the street. Yeah. But uh, my place where the office is, where I'm still recording from, is like the only part of the house still intact. The upstairs, totally stripped to bare bones. They're excavating around the perimeter of the house. It's a mess. Wow. But give me six more months, it'll be great. Well, you know, um, in my world, the studio is done, and it's looking great, and the people in town are beginning to, uh, to call me about it saying how much do you charge yes you're starting to record some interesting bands aren't you yeah i'm producing an album by an artist uh here locally named Raina martin nice and uh, she's a singer songwriter but she's she's different she's a very unique person cool yeah you'll you'll hear more from her as we get closer to ship date i hope so and there's going to be a new franklin brothers cd someday please yeah yeah we're we're working furiously on that every monday night some nice. good we've been doing some great stuff well, I've been hearing some of the early mixes, and boy, it is phenomenal music. It's getting pretty good. Yeah. All right, let's get into Better Know Framework. All right, man, hit me. 
So as you know, Better Know Framework is a place where I point out uh, some things in the .NET Framework that you should probably go look up yourself when you have some time. Uh, Tuesday, we talked about the stream object in system.io. And this time, we're, we also talked about the synchronized method, which returns a thread-safe wrapper around that stream. And this time, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the read and write methods and also the begin read and begin write methods. So the read and write is your, is your basic, you know, this is what you do. You read and you write. But most people are confused about the read method because you actually have to pass an array to it to read. Right. And so you pass a buffer that has to be allocated already. Right? So let's say you want to read 4K chunks. So you create a 4K byte array. Right. And you pass that as the first parameter. The second and third parameters are weird. The, f- the second parameter is the offset. And a lot of people think that that offset is the offset in the file where you want to start reading into the buffer. Okay. But it's not. The, the current position in the file is, is, is held by the, the stream the, uh, cursor internally. All right, so you can use the seek method or the position property to move that cursor around, but you know after you read 4K, it's at the very next byte, and the next time you read, that's where it's going to read from. Right. So the offset is the offset in the buffer where you want to begin storing the data that you read, and then the next parameter, the count, is how many bytes to read. Right. So if you want to fill up the buffer from the current position, you pass the buffer, you pass zero for the offset, and you pass the buffer length. Yeah. For the count. Now, uh, you can do that with reading, with writing, and also with uh, use the asynchronous model for begin read and begin write. And that's where you have an asynchronous callback, and then that gets called whenever the, the operation is finished. And that's really good for, you know, doing stuff like uh, when, the, when the file is just too big to, to handle in one operation, and you don't want to sit in a tight loop. Yeah, you don't want to suck all that down and just run yourself out of memory, too. Exactly. Also, you probably might want to upgrade, update a progress bar or some other thing like that. But then you get into the whole UI cross-thread thing, which we've talked about on .NET Rocks and I talked about on DNR TV as yeah. well. Don't go call into the UI without being careful. Yeah. Well, anyway, we spent enough time on this. Let's uh, read an email. I, you know, and that's a fundamental skill, understanding how to handle streams. So for yeah. folks who are new to development, this is stuff you need to study yep. thoroughly. Um, on DNR TV, Mark Dunn did a show on streams, and uh, I did a show on the asynchronous programming model, which um, I think is required viewing for any .NET Yeah, developer. I think those two things together will get you that real progress bar effect. Yeah. All right, and speaking of new developers, check out this email. Hey, Carl and Richard, love the show. I graduated in the spring of 2007 and just finished up my first gig as a consultant. That's awesome. I worked at a startup developing a software product to market to drug makers. We used all the cool technologies, WPF, CruiseControl.net, and iBatis.net. That's an ORM. Yeah. Anyway, I just listened to the show with Mark Miller. Yeah, I know I'm behind the ball on these shows. I just got my iPod. Uh, I mean, Zune. Nice. Mark mentioned that he did not know of any colleges or universities that had courses in user interface design. I graduated from Penn State College of Information and Sciences, Design and Development. Our curriculum included usability courses, lots of tufty reading, interaction design reading, paper prototyping, and all that good stuff. I got the tufty book, by the way. The tufty book is great, isn't it? Fabulous. They are a fantastic book, and it's great to know this stuff's being taught. Yes. Thanks, Emil. Keep on recording. Joe Hopkins from 
Koshokanen, Pennsylvania. Say that three times fast. No, on second thought, don't. (laughs) (laughs) You might hurt yourself. Thanks a lot for the email, Joe. Excellent. So, TechEd's coming right up here soon. Yes, sir. Yep. We will be doing panels at TechEd Online. They just launched their new website, too. That's fabulous. Yeah. Does it look good? It does. It looks fantastic. And it's all set up for the fact that they're going to be doing these online shows all over the world and consolidating all that information in one place. So it's going to become a real center for info. And you'll see .NET Rocks, Run As Radio there every time. And uh, I'll be Twittering, too. So if you want to Twitter, I think uh, my Twitter is just Carl Franklin. So Nice. Yeah. If you want to keep uh keep uh keep up with what we're doing at TechEd. you can follow my twitter lead we'll probably be hanging out at the uh, regional director booth i imagine quite a bit yep when we're not actually on stage which will be a lot of the time right but they're you- all roughly in the same area that's just that great big main hall right so come come say hi and so this is a show from dallas tech fest that's right and we really were all over that show weren't we you did the keynote Yes, the keynote was in the evening, and that was good because um, it was an early morning for me, if I remember correctly. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> also, I mean, your keynote is very funny, and I think that works really well at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, not a lot of not a lot of brain power required. But what was cool about the Dallas Tech Fest for me was the diversity of topics. It's really a tech fest. There was like some Google Android stuff, and a whole bunch of Ruby and development on the iPhone. I thought it was very cool. All right, well, let's listen now to the, uh, to the panel discussion that we had at the Dallas Tech Fest around building communities. Hey, Dallas! Welcome to Dine Night Rocks! Oh my God, this is the biggest crowd we've ever had, Richard. Well, certainly the most enthusiastic for this early in the morning. Yes, it is early in the morning. We're at the Dallas Tech Fest. It, what time is it? It's not even nine yet. There's something wrong with that. But uh, anyway, thank you all for coming. We are here uh, going to be talking to a few people in the local community, talking about communities, and uh, let's just let them introduce themselves. I'm Chris Koenig. I'm a developer evangelist with Microsoft based here in Dallas. I'm Toy Wright. I'm the president of the Dallas ASP.NET user group. And I'm uh, Caleb Jenkins, a former uh, developer evangelist for Microsoft, local uh, MVP, and I've uh, worked with lots of user groups uh, over the last couple of years. So we got ourselves a spread of, of panelists, of course, the obligatory blue badge, which you always got to have one Microsoft first, especially if we're talking about communities, and then a community leader. Exactly. And uh, communities have... Wow. I mean, the, the whole .NET community has been vibrant from the very beginning. And it just, it's sort of morphing though. I mean, uh, we, Richard and I were talking about this together, uh, together before the, before we started here. We we're looking at the schedule and the number of .NET specific sessions seems to be getting smaller and smaller. Do you agree with that? Oh, I do. But uh, one of the things, too, that we wanted to do, especially with this conference here, is you know we spend a lot of time uh, really focused on our own groups, our own communities, and you know it's it's easy for me as a Microsoft guy to reach out to the to the guys that are already interested in .NET. What we wanted to do with this conference is is open it up even more and and bring together communities that typically, at least around here, don't do a lot of collaboration. So we hmm. intentionally opened up multiple tracks and said, hey, let's go reach out to the Java community, let's reach out to the Rails community. Yeah. Let's reach out to to whatever communities we can and try to get us all together to get to know each other a little better and and hopefully do more things like this in the future. 
Toy, does this really work in a typical user group scenario? I always thought that user groups talked about special interest groups that focused on particular topics rather than uh, spread this broadly. Well, my user group just focuses on ASP.net. Okay. So this as a conference that we're having today, we're focusing on other things. But an individual user group generally does form around some technology. Typically around a technology. How many people are you bringing out to an ASP.net? I'm bringing out about 50. That's all right. That seems to be the magic number, actually. I like to have a group where I know everybody's name. Yeah, I I don't disagree with that. You can actually get into a bar afterwards without, you know, too much, uh, too much problem. Yes, we have done that. (laughs) Seems to be a trend here. I don't know. But isn't that really what, in some degrees, isn't that really what we're talking about when we talk about building communities? It's it's almost, it's very much a social thing just to get together with like-minded folks and, and disagree. Yeah. I mean, that's why I do it. I've been a member of a user group for over 15 years. I've been running them for almost 10. And I do it because of the social aspect. You know, it, it's interesting you talk about the, the social aspect because the technologies, you're right, most user groups do form around a technology. But the issues and what it takes to build a user group is pretty common across technology boundaries. So, you know, every user group is looking for a place to meet. Every user group is looking for, you know, sponsors or how do we deal with that one problem person or how do we build consensus amongst a group of people. So building community is is really consistent across the board. Now, there are differences if it's a, you know, focused around a user group versus more of an online, you know, through the forums or or through some other kind of, you know, there's different types of communities, uh, you know, global communities. But in a lot of cases... It's, it's pretty much consistent. So there, there have been other events, for example, focused around building community. Um, you know, in Dallas, we had the, uh, community leadership summit, which the whole goal was to bring leaders from different user groups, from different technologies to one place at one time. And then this is an example I think you see from user groups. And, uh, so like Toy at her ASP.net group, they've done sessions on CSS and, you know, HTML, you know, that aren't really ASP.net, but they are web specific. Do you think there's a difference between the crowd that goes to user group meetings and the crowd that goes to code camps and tech fests and things like that? A difference in the, in the, you know, the, I don't know, the, the demographic or the, the work, uh, the professionalism, whatever, do you see, or is it all the same people? From what I've seen, there's quite a lot of overlap. I would say at a code camp, a type of event that I would recognize about half the faces at least. Hmm. This is resolvable empirically. So how many folks here in the room have been to a user group before. Okay, clap. So I think I'd say about 50%. I'd say a little more. A little more? Yeah. And, uh, and of course, I don't have to ask how many have been to a code camp. Sure. <laughs> One thing I've noticed, too, is that uh, most of the user groups that I'm affiliated with, they meet uh, on a weeknight. Some of them start as early as maybe 4.30 in the afternoon. Hmm. But they usually meet after work. Uh, and what I've seen throughout my different communities is that doesn't always bring everybody out. Right. Because, you know, you know, got to help kids with the homework or maybe you have some kind of function that evening. Uh, most of these code camps that we do uh, either occur on a, a whole day or yeah. a weekend. And so you get – you certainly get more people on the weekends. And it's it's been sort of an interesting – um, experiment over the past year as we tried, well, let's try just on Saturday or let's try just on Friday or maybe Friday you and Saturday. You could also make the argument that they're a little more refreshed on a Saturday, you know, than they would be after work, you know, that's exactly. sort exactly. of being burned out. And, um, you know, as we, as we can see today, we've got, we've got folks out here at, uh, 842 this morning. The room is packed and, and we've got a lot of, uh, a lot of excited people at the conference. Thousands today. of them. Thousands. Thousands. It must be seven, eight thousand people in here yeah. by now. <laughs>
So, uh, Chris, I'm going to leave you on the microphone just for a moment yet because I'm, I'm still f- trying to get in my picture, a picture in my head exactly what Microsoft does for communities because you don't run these communities. I think a long time ago, and I've been with Microsoft for just over a year now, I think a long time ago we spent, uh, as a company, efforts to try to start up user groups and, and put leadership in place. Uh, now, really, my job in supporting community is mostly about helping to empower people, give people, um, you know, some support. When I got a call from uh, some folks in uh, Fort Smith, Arkansas, that say, hey, you know, we've got a pretty strong community here, but we don't know how to start a user group. So I can point them at places like Ineta. We have our own CodeZone site where we uh, we allow groups to register through CodeZone.com. Uh, these groups, once they get registered and, and approved and in the system, they actually get a series of points that they can spend at the Code Zone store to buy swag for their meeting. Everything from, you know, software to books or t-shirts or, um, bouncy balls that you can, uh, inflate and throw around in the crowd. So we provide support. We help to, to, you know, generate interest. We have the swag that we support with. We, uh, we also help to promote things across the different, uh, you know, when we go to different speaking engagements and across user groups and, and the user community. Uh, we don't really run things, but we do as much supporting and empowering as we can. Do you get feedback from the user group leaders? The, do you provide oh, absolutely. feedback in terms uh, of here in uh, here in South Central? Uh, in fact, it was just yesterday. Um, we organized and run a monthly. Uh, we call it our Developers Guidance Council meeting. We meet the first Friday of every month. Uh, we have a, a conference call with with user group leaders, uh, MVPs, um, community influentials from all over South Central, and we meet to talk about you know the issues of the community. What are what are you guys doing over here? What's going well? What's not going so well? How can we help each other? We found that to be a great place to at least bring everybody back together, but also to help new groups uh, get mentoring and counseling from those that have been doing it for nearly 10 years. You know, we're not sure how to get sponsorships. Well, there's eight people on the phone that have mastered the art of sponsorship and, you know, obtaining money. So it's a great, uh, it's a great interaction between the groups. Hey, this is Carl. I just need to take a minute to tell you about the latest offerings from our friends at Telerik. As you probably know, they've recently released their huge pack of web controls built on top of ASP.NET AJAX that'll help you build impossibly fast and interactive applications in no time. But you've just got to check out their Windows Form stuff. It looks just like WPF. How about a carousel component in Windows Forms? How about a super powerful grid view control? and 32 other desktop components with dazzling WPF-like features. In reporting, Telerik has this new design surface that simulates graph paper. And it's got so many advanced page layout capabilities, it looks more like graphic design software. So visit www.telerik.com and download a free trial. And make sure you thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. Uh, one interesting thing to me is that when these code camps really got popular, and I would say, you know, what you guys are doing is really sort of an extension of the original code camp idea, uh, very, very similar. Um, we, you know, we were looking around and saying, man, there's so, going to be so much good free content out there. Why would people go to paid conferences? And then we see conferences like Dev Connections and just going nuts. I mean, people are just flocking to them. So it doesn't seem to be having a negative effect on the rest of the, uh, on the rest of the community, you know, that, that's p- the paid community, because, you know, these user groups are free, code camps are free. Um, I think that's really interesting. 
Yeah, well, uh, like we said at the very beginning, I think a lot of it is social too, right? So I, it's, it's easier for me to come out here and meet with old friends that maybe I haven't seen for a while and, and meet some new people uh, and get together and talk one-on-one about the issues that are most important to them. Yeah, it also goes to show you that there's just a lot to know, you know, and when you, when you open up that can, you know, you want more. So the same argument was made, uh, if you look at, um, let's say it was the baseball before baseball was on the radio. And when they decided to actually put it on the radio, the fear was, oh, people aren't going to go to the games anymore. Yeah. Right. And they found just the opposite happened because yeah. people could get interested at home. It, the, the, the cost of entry was lower. And so all of a sudden they saw the benefits and, or, or became fans of baseball. Right. And I think user groups and code camps sort of do the same thing for the dev connections and the tech ed where the, the cost of entry is lower. And once you're there, you realize, wow, this is, this really does help me. That's a great the, community. This yeah. is a great environment to be in. The, the, the technical aspect that I'm getting and also so I think the paid, you know, commu- um, events have also increased in, uh, I would say in their quality, you know, they, they've had to really mm. focus and say, okay, we're going to go really deep, for example, right. maybe at a deeper level than you would get necessarily at a code camp in a lot of cases. Yeah, absolutely true. Have, have you also had the experience that, um, these are the sort of events that grow new speakers. I, what I really like about code camps is it'll often, and here we are at a code camp and we're not local speakers. It's that most of the speakers are local and that the, this is really the place where they get to, to uh, really cut their teeth on what it's like to, to speak in front of a crowd. Yeah, that, that's definitely true. And so you have people like, uh, you know, Chris who are identifying the local influencers, the local speakers. You have a lot of MVPs that are sort of kind of coming up through the ranks. Um, I, I, as you guys are on the Ineta Speakers Bureau and so I'm, you know, going around with Ineta, but Ineta is doing the same thing, opening up, you know, regional speakers. Um, bureaus or regional speakers groups and code zone as well, helping to kind of identify the people that have a, a desire and a, an ability to to speak locally and then have that grow into something uh, larger. You know, we've mentioned Aneta a couple of times now, and I, I imagine many of the listeners know all about it, but maybe we better let people know. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, and and um, Toy, I'd be interested in your viewpoint as a user group leader. What is I? I mean, Aneta is not Microsoft, right? It's an independent entity. It's I, sort of an sort independent of. entity. It's the International um, .NET User Group Association. International .NET Association. Mm-hmm. Oh, International.net Association, ineta.org. And they do provide a lot of services for user groups, and the primary one that I use is the Speaker Bureau. Well, they will provide speakers where they will fly them in and put them up in the hotel, and then they can speak at your user group. And you get a couple a year. So that's been really good because then you get a lot of marquee speakers and that does help bring new members into a user group. Hmm. Other than that, that, that's the main benefit I've signed. Yeah. Okay, so maybe we should talk about the construct of a user group. We've mentioned vaguely, you need space. Yes. <laughs> you need space, you need speakers, you need swag? Swag is fun. And people have grown to expect it. And it's really pretty easy to get. Just go to any kind of meeting and they'll give you like the leftover cases of stuff. You need pizza. No, I serve barbecue. Dope. Hey, uh, this when's, is Texas. Your, when's your next meeting? This is Texas. Uh, <laughs> toys user groups are known for having some of the best food. You know, Richard and I in 2005 went on a road trip and we came to Dallas and to the user group and I remember having barbecue. I know, wait a minute, we had Subway, which was because there were so many people, but we had so much pizza on that trip. That when we did get something different, it was like, thank you. Well, yeah, we got to a point. And it's bad enough that you're getting served pizza every night. But then they give you the leftovers, too, because we need them for the RV, right? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, pretty quickly I let everyone know we, we, 
you know, you go to a user group once a month. We were going to one every day. Well, actually, a lot of people in this community go to more than one user group. Is there really? Yes. How many groups are we talking about? <laughs> well, you know, um, we're, we're really lucky here in South Central. I think the last count I made of the just Microsoft focus groups across South Central, probably about 30. And That's then amazing. about 40 ish, if you count in all of the other groups that I know about. Really? Uh, we've started up at least 12 or 14 new groups in the past 12 months. Wow. So yeah, it's, it's absolutely unbelievable. Between study groups and user groups, you know, everything from, uh, you know, XNA developers to, uh, you know, web enthusiasts to a couple of different cities, four or five cities that's sort of their first user group attempt. It's unbelievable. And just in the Dallas metro area alone, you could go, you know, three times a week. Well, it is another country, Texas, you know. It's true. <laughs> it was and it may well be again. You never know. <laughs> uh, all right. So how do you pay for the pizza or the food in general? Toy, I mean. There the- are two ways to handle that. Right now, I charge dues. Do you really? Yes, I do. Uh, so once a year? But think of it Annual as a nice dues. barbecue dinner, right? It's $25 a year. And that's enough to cover. What do you, what do you pay out of that $25? I pay I, right now. I just pay for the food, food, drink, and you know the accoutrements of that. And I do get sponsors because that's not enough money, actually. Right. Yeah, I was going to say when you divide it up. So about that, that covers about half of the cost of the food. That's a pretty good deal. And, but that but, makes a lot of ownership, though. A lot of people get really excited when they belong to something, and it makes them feel like they belong to the interesting. organization. Do you find any? I mean, I, I know one of the things we struggle with with code camps is you get a lot of people signing up, but it is free, and, and many don't show. Uh, right, and they gotta, value what they paid. They didn't pay much, so they, they don't value it that exactly. Much. And so I've got to wonder if that affects your user group as well. You may not have as many people sign up, but those that do sign up go. I think that's true because when I track who's showing up, once they pay dues. They rarely miss a meeting. <laughs> right. We also have a group in Houston that has sort of a, a mixed approach. Uh, you can go to the Houston.net user group anytime you want, just for nothing. Um, if you choose, uh, and I don't remember, sorry, Michael, I don't remember exactly what their due amount is, but I think it's $45 a year. If you choose to contribute, then they give you a mug and a T-shirt and some extra raffle tickets. You get and- to eat. And some extra stuff. No, no, they, they give food to everybody. If you don't pay, you don't eat. You get pizza, but if no, you pay, no then, you get, you. then you get, get real, no. Yeah. They actually, they actually in, in there, when you become, I think they call it a gold member or something like that, they include a, you get a free copy, you know, um, subscription to Code Magazine, hmm. for example, which the retail on that's like $20 a year anyways. Yeah. Um, the other thing that they do there that's unique and, and, you know, really it's, I think the ASP.net group and the Houston group are the only groups that I know of that, that charge dues. And so in Houston, the other thing that they do is when you charge dues, you're able to vote for officers. And, you know, non-paying members don't have the opportunity to vote for officers. Oh, that makes sense. There's, there's, a, there's a few groups that will, you know, it's $2 a meeting kind of thing. But those are there's very, very few of those. Hmm. Um, Toy, what is the legality issues around charging money? Aren't you now like a nonprofit or something? Do you have to do anything there? Well, you can if you choose to. <laughs> well, thank- my accountant's not listening. <laughs> <laughs> so some of the organizations have done that. Okay. They have, you know, gone and gotten official. Yeah. We have not done that. Okay. 
We do have a bank account and all those kinds of things. And you, I mean, you're collecting the money and then you're just dispersing it in the form of, uh, like I said, buying food and so forth. What do the sponsors get from this? Uh, I mean, where, what's a typical, I don't even know if we should mention numbers, but what's a typical contribution from a sponsor? Is it annually? No, what I do, because I don't really need that many sponsors, and Ineta, when they provide a speaker, also provide the food, so they sponsor the meals. So really, I only need to be sponsored about four times a year. And what that allows is I'll give them five minutes at the beginning to talk about whatever their product is that they hmm. sell. So a sponsor will, will sponsor a meeting. Yes. And, and for that, and, and, and it's a certain amount of money, enough to, to cover the cost of that meeting and, right. and they cost get a chance the to, to reach the, uh, the audience. And that some, um, user groups actually have a sponsor that will pay the whole year and they'll just get hmm. a few thousand dollars and that'll cover the whole year and then hmm. they won't have to worry about getting new sponsors. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I helped kind of grow the, the Tulsa.net user group. This is before I joined Microsoft, um, before I left Microsoft. So, and one of the things that we did starting off is, you know, as a small user group, we weren't charging dues because, you know, you're building community and nobody really gets into building community because they want to, you know, send invoices and collect money and sure. have to manage that. So we were bartering. And so we had like our platinum sponsor for the year they committed that they would just every, every month they would buy pizza. And sodas. And so that was the barter. So they were our sponsor and we, they didn't, we didn't collect money and then go get pizza. They just made sure the pizza was there every month. And mm. early on, we actually counted growth by the number of pizzas we went through every month. <laughs> so, you know, it was, wow, we're up to 10 pizzas. It's unbelievable. Yeah. The pizza scale. I That's like right. that. Yeah. A lot of sponsors would do that, but they'll just give you their credit card and then you buy the food with their credit card number. They're very trusting. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's an interesting element of of this. We we certainly talk about the community element of the the people that go to the user group as well as well uh, as and their interactions with the leadership of the group, but there's also a, a significant element of the leaders interacting with the sponsors with Microsoft. Uh, is isn't an awful lot of this just simply done on a handshake and some FaceTime to meet everyone. So the uh the Dallas group which I want to say the Dallas.net user group is right around 115, 120 people monthly. Um, you know, that fluctuates. They actually, in one of their officer positions is just to manage sponsor relationships. And, um, the person that does that, he does a phenomenal job where he's actually, you know, I've, I've organized a couple events where he said, Hey, I've got, you know, five or 10 sponsors that want to come sponsor a meeting and we're full. I, I'm pushing them off. So why don't I just send them to you? And, oh, sure, that's fine. You know, twist my arm. If I could, uh, if I could t- change the subject for a minute, if somebody wants to get into speaking and they come to you and say, I have this great talk on X, you don't know who they are, what do you do? Do you ask around, has anybody seen this person? Do you know who this person is? Do you give them a shot? Do you, do you, do you make them audition? What do you do? Well, typically what I've seen is, uh, People, people that come up are, are usually somebody that we know that, that we've, we've started, you know, we've identified that, uh, you know, they come to all the meetings, that they participate in the meeting and, and we get to know them a little bit. So we, we, you know, I certainly try to work to encourage them to, you know, find a topic, you know, whatever they usually end up coming to talk to me about after the meeting's over, then I'll, you know, I'll talk to them about, hey, you know, may I could probably be help you find some material, um, and give you some tips on presenting in front of people. If it was somebody we didn't know, um, probably want to go have a beer and have a conversation, yeah, pick their brain you, you a little, know, maybe go, go, uh, go have a drink with them, get to talk to them a little bit. Um, and you know, you can kind of tell uh, toy just, uh, just this past month had a couple of new speakers and, you know, you could tell they were a little bit nervous, but, uh, you know, they both did a great job 
And that's what we want to try to foster in, in, some of the, in some of the meetings that we do. I mean, obviously, we don't want to run new, new speakers every single month, but it's great to have, uh, it's great to have an opportunity for these people to, to get a chance to get up in front of people and, and try something new that they haven't done before. Do you know anyone who's done formal auditions, like actually had a night where you could you know, sort of like speaker idol at TechEd. That's a great idea. We should do that. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 that's the, I, that's what I do, man. I'm, I'm full of ideas. I, idea guy. You know, uh, there, the, the, I would say the flip side is generally more true, which, um, you, you grow this relationship. You have these communities, these people you're with, you know, a couple times a month if, at various user groups and they start telling you about some project they're working on and it's really interesting and you think that's amazing. You should put a talk together on that. And as soon as you say that, you know, their face goes white, their hands go numb. And the idea of getting up and talking in front of people, they just think, no, there's no way. And, and you're actually trying to fo- and encourage them to talk to the group. What some groups have done, they've started what they call uh, lightning talks or, you know, there's other phrases where someone will get up and, you know, just do like a five or a ten minute talk on this one little piece of something that they've done at work before the main speaker. Mm. And so that's also another way to sort of, you know, vet somebody, vet a talk, kind of um, help foster that. Another thing we've tried to, to start doing, uh, is, is co-presenting. So if you're new to, to speaking, uh, maybe, maybe you're, uh, you're great at showing off the technology. You're great at running, you know, Visual Studio and demonstrating this cool technology. You'd partner up with somebody who spent a lot of time, you know, kind of giving the, in, you know, overviews and talking about the merits of particular technologies. And then your partner would go in and do that deep dive. And then you, you know, you, it's, it's a, it's a process. You encourage them to speak up a little bit and, and hand them a microphone from time to time. But, you know, uh, it's it's important, I think, as as community leaders, for us to to keep that going. Just like we try to keep the the leadership of the group going and getting new people involved and helping to run the group, so that people don't get uh, you know completely burned out as a as a user group leader. We need to do that with speakers as well. Ty, I see you nodding your head there. You had, I think, you had some. Uh, how did you how do you handle that situation? Um, pretty much like uh, Caleb was saying, the best way to do that is to give them ten or fifteen minutes at the beginning. Yeah. Of a, you know, another presentation so that if it goes well, it goes well. If not, it's only 10 or 15 minutes. Right. <laughs> you don't waste anyone. So you only die a little bit. And I've never had a complete stranger come to me and ask to speak at my user group. Yeah. Uh, and it seems kind of odd to do that. I think you'd want to go a few times before you consider speaking. Uh, but how many, I mean, are you meeting once a month? Your yes, group? we meet once a month. We always meet the same day and time. And I think that's very important. Regularity is really what builds community. Yes, because then like even my husband knows I can't schedule anything on this day. Mm-hmm. Toy's not available. <laughs> that's the day. And then uh, we also see, for example, study groups um, are sort of, you know, small special interest groups that typically will meet once a week. But the difference is they'll meet once a week for three months hmm. or something like that. So they, you know, it's still it's not open ended. Um, but that seems to be, that seems to work really well in their favor. Now, is that almost like formal training or is it tag team or is it just people to get up and talk? Usually the study, when, when someone puts together a study group, it's usually around certification. So they say for the oh, next okay. three months, we're going to tackle, you know, this exam and we're really going to focus on this technology I see. with the goal of at the end, people that are involved in the study group going out and, and becoming certified. So I'm still thinking through the speakers issue here. So you said you get a couple of, of speakers from Ineta. So you needing to come up with 10 speakers a year? We don't meet in December because we're uh, fourth Tuesday and that's usually Christmas. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, does, does Microsoft, I mean, Microsoft does tours and things. So they sometimes present to your user group as well. Like, is, isn't that a speaker slot or two gone? Usually I'll get someone from Microsoft. 
once or twice a year, but then I'll usually get MVPs in whatever technology that I think we need to see or be exposed to. Are you asking for, for folks from Microsoft or is Microsoft coming to you and saying, Hey, we've got such and such a thing going through the town are you I, coming I through this month? Pretty much you have to ask. In Dallas, we have so many user groups. Right. <laughs> so just being visible to Microsoft must be a challenge uh, all by itself. Well, it does help because Chris has the monthly meetings. So if you attend those, then you're going to really be exposed to a lot of people that have speakers. You're going to find out what other speakers are coming through. So sometimes there are tag team things where people have come in for like my user group and stayed for the weekend to do a code camp. Do something else. Chris, what's this monthly meeting? Uh, we call this our uh, Developers Guidance Council meeting. We... Um we get all of the local area user group leaders together, uh, MVPs in the area, and those that I would call community influencers, those that are, you know, visible and active in the community that maybe aren't tied to a specific technology. Do you invite Caleb? Caleb is invited, absolutely. <laughs> just, just checking. Absolutely. Um, and he's a very, very visible and vocal at the meetings. Um, and that's what we encourage. We, uh, you know, this, this past month we were talking about, uh, you know, what do we want to see happen in the next, uh, the next year? You know, budget time is coming around. How can I help the community leaders meet their goals? You know, um, so we, we talk about a number of different issues. Uh, sometimes we'll have new, new leaders that we'll introduce and we'll have questions about getting sponsorships or getting speakers or, uh, you know, how do, how do I work, um, how do I work with sponsors or, or those kinds of things. Hey, I just want to give a shout out real quick to our friends at Data Dynamics who, uh, make ActiveReports.net among other really awesome things. ActiveReports.net is great because, uh, it allows you to just build your reports with an easy editor, embed them right in your application. Provide PDF and HTML output. Give your end users a report editor, royalty-free, of course. A great access report upsizing wizard. And all this for a price that isn't going to break the bank. ActorReports.net from Data Dynamics. Go check it out now at datadynamics.com. Now, I know um, when I started this show, the goal was not to always focus on .NET, but to be a show for .NET developers. So anything that I was interested in would be a good topic for the show uh, because uh, I am one, right? So do, do you ever stray from programming or .NET in your, in your topics? Ever just throw a curveball in there or something that's maybe geeky and fun? You know, I don't, I don't know that when I'm, if I'm speaking at a user group, um, very often, although, for example, I, I have done talks on building community and what, what makes a healthy community. Mm. Um, I have done a couple talks around that, but it's interesting. I was thinking about as, you know, resources, um, you know, Josh Holmes, who's an architect evangelist in central region, his last two blog posts were on public speaking. Hmm. Uh, he actually has a has a, a theater major in his background, and yeah. so he's going through a lot of the technical aspects of presenting in public. And a very good stuff for anyone that was you know in you know, joshholmes.com. And we've done in the past about once a year a panel on consulting hmm. and what that means. And one of the panelists will be a lawyer because hmm. there are so many very legal good. issues, and that's generally very well attended. That was my my last user group I was running that we would always have that panel every year, and it was. Very popular. Just, you know, how do I make it in this industry? Do I want to work for a consulting? Do I want to work for myself? Do I want to work for a large company? And people just, you know, really talk about that and discuss that. And those are really fun meetings. 
It's an, an interesting obligation thinking in terms of, to, uh, lots of folks ask, what's it like to be out on your own as opposed to working for a pure consulting group, as opposed to being the technical expert in a company that does something else that right. they do the development for. How about uh, something just for fun, like programming Lego Mindstorms? Do you think that would bring out people? What do you no. think? Would that be a good topic? Well, there it is. Uh, there, there's there a robotic a studio session today. There's a robotic studio session today with right. uh, my partner, Phil Wheat, the architect evangelist. So yeah. uh, that's actually something that's getting a lot of uh, excitement and attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've recently started a, an XNA development group for building mm. applications and games on the Xbox. Yeah. So yeah, I think, uh, I think yeah, there's uh, there's some room for those things, absolutely. There's, there's also been um, a session proposed for the... Uh, well, there was, I think it was proposed for this one, but it's also, uh, one of the guys who runs our, one of our study groups here in Dallas wanted to do a session on you know, working with, uh, you know, contracting firms and finding a job similar to, right. to what, uh, you know, the consulting, um, yeah. the toy was talking about. But, you know, things like, you know, how do you deal with those things? And we've also seen sessions on the legal ramifications of starting your own, uh, company to run like yeah. Dallas Tech Fest, you know, Buy what insurance. Next question. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, there's also, uh, for example, up in Northwest Arkansas, there's the .NET user group that meets, you know, just, and they literally, it's just Northwest Arkansas because there's like five or six towns that are all very close to each other. But then they also recently, I think about a year ago, started a user group at the local college. And so the topics will actually be pretty different uh, because the interests are different. And so you'll see more XNA, for example, at the college uh, .NET user group and, and that sort of thing. Hmm. When it comes to editorial calendar, as a guy who does a lot of editorial calendar work, how do you pick, Toy? I mean, are you, are you just finding what you can find? Uh, you know, Basically, you- I pick on what I'm interested in. And then I assume that there are like minds coming to my user group because yeah, I've always done it that way. <laughs> and so far, that's worked out just fine. Yeah. You know, we had a session on methodologies recently. We have a session on, you know, testing. We have, you know, test development, test driven development. We have sessions. MVCs coming up. I just things that I want to learn about. Mm. <laughs> it's very. It's, I mean, it's it's fair, but it, it also points to I could see how a user group would evolve given a set of leaders. That as your education expanded, your knowledge base expanded, your topics would shift as well. So it's like the folks who came into that group initially would probably follow along with you. But it, when do user groups end? That's a tough question, but I mean... I was in the 3D Delphi Developers of Dallas group, and it ended when Delphi work ended. (laughs) Ah. (laughs) I I mean, yeah, you've always... Generally, you find these groups are formed around a technology. Does that mean the group ends when the technology ends, or is there other reasons? A lot of times there's other reasons. Uh, Most user groups are built up around a person, I would say, and if that person moves or leaves, if, if they haven't built up a healthy leadership group, where the group can grow beyond the person, then it falls apart. And so uh, I don't remember exactly what happened, but for example, in Tulsa, um, I was excited the fact that when I left Tulsa, the group grew much larger than it was when I ran it uh, because there was a leadership group and there was a core group of people that could go run with it. The flip side of that was that in Tulsa, um, about a year and a half ago, the Java group just completely fell apart and disbanded. I don't think it was for lack of interest or, you know, well, maybe it was. But what happened there is that the Tulsa user group ended up picking that up as a SIG hmm. and running the Java group. Wow. Which is kind of a flip side, but it's interesting. 
Yeah, when when uh, folks come to me and they say, hey, we're interested in starting a user group, one of the other things I try to do is sort of explain to them, you know, what the other groups are doing and how they've learned, you know, certain techniques to make sure that the group doesn't stay focused around just one person. Right. Because if that person gets burned out or if they move or if, you know, their priorities change, we don't want the group to disappear. It's actually a bad idea in any sort of enterprise, really. Oh, sure. Yeah. Sure. So, you know, we talk to them about making sure you, you know, find a core group of people that, that are all interested in seeing the group succeed and willing to take, take on real responsibility to make it happen, just like conferences like this. How many people does it take to run a user group then? I mean, it's obviously at least one, but, you know, what's a good core group look like? So the ASP.NET SIG, I think, is toy. Or do you have, I don't... Yes, I, I have officer. I have officers and I have a lot of people that have different things that they pretty much do during the meeting that has just kind of evolved that that's what they take care of for me because I couldn't take care of everything. But I mean, delegation is important, right? Yeah. I, I, I think five seems to be a good number for your core officers. Hmm. Uh, I think that's a, just kind of a, you know, if you look at, I don't like to do officer titles. I like to look at roles and what people are doing. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, I think one of the critical aspects for a healthy user group is if, if whatever you can do to help people make the mental transition from this is a group I attend to this is my group mm. where they start to have individual ownership and it, whatever it is, you know, lowering the bar, getting people's input where, where they start thinking that as their group and maybe they're doing nothing different, but it's a mental shift where it becomes something with it. If this is their group they're that more they belong engaged. to. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and Caleb's absolutely right. I mean, it's the roles that are critical. And, you know, if, if it takes, you know, if your group is so big that it takes three people to manage sponsorships, then you need three people to manage sponsorships. We usually talk about things like, you know, logistics, uh, making sure you have a meeting space and, and that that's all taken care of. Maybe, uh, food or other sponsorships. We talk about membership, making sure the, the listing and the website and all of those mm -hmm. things are, are kept up to date. Um, it's certain roles that, that you try to establish early on so that those roles can evolve over time and the group isn't centered around one individual. So obviously we talked about the sponsorship role seems to be a very clear one. And it is, and there's a role in logistics, meaning the person who knows how to get space. How do you get space anyway? Do you pay for space? Well, usually you, you shouldn't have to pay for space and, but, but sometimes you do. And it, it, it sort of all depends on, on where and where you're starting. So what's uh, available. What's available, right? So, uh, you know, at, at the, uh, Microsoft office in, in Dallas, we sponsor about five or six groups, uh, monthly that meet there. Uh, we have a number of partners in town that, um, like Caleb's company that also, um, sponsors user group meetings and allow them to meet there. Uh, sometimes it's a, uh, it's a group where the person who thought up the idea, uh, gets buy-in from their company and their company is willing to offer up one of their larger conference rooms or something. I, I, there's, there's few groups I think that still pay. Maybe Tulsa still pays. Yep. So Tulsa has about five monthly groups that are all kind of under the same umbrella and they pay a monthly fee or, w you know, whatever it is to, uh, I think it's the Tulsa, um, it, it used to be the Tulsa Community College, and I think they're actually at the OSU Tulsa campus. And so they, they pay a fee to use those rooms. Uh, Oklahoma City, they meet at the public library. They still pay a fee. Even though it's the public library, there's a meeting room there that they pay a f fee for. Um, North, the, uh, let's see, the Northern Dallas.net user group, they, ha they have up in 350 people, depending on the speaker. Usually it's right around 100, but they meet at Intuit's office, and Intuit just covers that. So Intuit is the location sponsor in that case. So, look, yeah, I mean, logistics, 
the actual sponsorship? Is there somebody who uh, whose role is wrangling speakers, like finding what the session yes, is going to be? Yes, uh, in most cases, yeah, and that usually falls on the leader, but in in a lot of cases, they you know can delegate that out to somebody else. Uh, what else? I mean, we've come up with three roles. What about the attend uh, the attendees, the the user? Yeah, you, uh, you have to get the word out about your group, right? And there are different ways to do that. You can get into MSDN Flash. In the past, Dallas Morning News allowed you to advertise in the technology section on Thursdays for free. Really? And we used to do that, but it's not free anymore. <laughs> a little too popular, did it? <laughs> so, I mean, obviously somebody just figuring out ways to reach out to potential attendees. Yes. And you know, usually, you know, at events like this, MSDN events, launch events, you can ask and a lot of times work a booth. And get a lot of people to find out about your organization that way. Do bloggers help out a lot? You know, attendees who blog? Yes. Bloggers are our friends. Ah. Uh, <laughs> any bloggers here? Clap your hands. Wow. Well, there's definitely a, there's a, there's a few of them out there. All right. So why is it every user group has that guy? <laughs> Mine doesn't. Mine, we got rid of the guy when we started charging dues. Ah, I see. That's how you get rid of the guy. You charge. It's a, I mean, I've been to a lot of user groups and I don't think there's been a single group where just before I go on, that organizer leads me and says, there's going to be a guy. He's sitting at the back. His hair is probably white. <laughs> he has a beard and a chip and you're going to hear from him. And, Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. Yeah, I know that guy, but it's amazing. It's amazing to me that there's all. You are that guy. Wait a second. <laughs> right about the time I, I, as I go through my professional career, when I get to the point where I no longer see that guy and people keep looking at me, that's when I'm going to stop. You'll going know to user you're groups. that guy. That's right. But is there something about a user group that we, we, certain personalities tend to come out and, and the free pizza? Ah, uh, there you go. Well, I was thinking with so many user groups in the Dallas area, uh, a bachelor could pretty much cover his dinner costs, for, you know, all week long. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why that is. I think that, um, I think that part of it, like Caleb said, is the free food. You know, we also have stuff that we give away. Uh, it's always interesting to me when we, when we do events like this, we have user groups that, you know, once the, once the giveaways are done, then people kind of, people kind of start to wander off. So, um, I don't know why that is. That's, I've never really thought about it in that way before. <laughs> it's the free food. That's why. <laughs> One of the reasons I started charging dues, cause it's a very minimal dues, but it really eliminated that element and it was lovely for me to get rid of that element. But aren't we, aren't we actually dealing with, there's always going to be a few agitator types, people who, who may or may not be contributing particularly, but definitely have some criticism. Like, how do you contend with, uh, is this actually trouble for the community or is it just, that's what people engaged mean? Or is it good? Does it keep you on your toes? I mean, I don't, I certainly don't think it's, it's bad for the community unless, you know, they get disruptive in the, in the meetings. But, right. you know, one of the things we hope for is a, is a good and open, honest discussion about, about these, you know, technologies or these topics that we're talking about. And, and I think they do provide a lot of value in asking some of the hard questions that maybe some people don't think to ask or, or maybe don't, aren't sure they should ask. We've, uh, at dot net rock, at the dot net rocks institute. <laughs> We've learned that uh, a certain type of show really is popular, and that is the SmackDown, where you you know it's Jerry Springer style kind of one person takes one side, another person takes another side. You get a couple of really strong-minded, articulate people together, and man, that makes for good listening. 
So have you ever had those experiences at uh, user group meetings? There was a there was a there was a meeting at our 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 C sharp SIG uh, a while back that was uh, <laughs> C sharp versus Ruby. So oh they would my go, God! So they would go back and forth. They would do something in C sharp, then he would do something in Ruby. The same th- kind of thing, and it would kind of go back and forth, and it was good. In fact, the uh, the person that stepped in to tell us to keep it down a minute ago. That was the Ruby guy. That's the guy. Yes. <laughs> That's the guy. R- really great guy. So, so yeah, that, that must have been a lot. Did it get, did it, did it disintegrate into name calling and throwing punches? No, no, and- not at all. It was, uh, and they, they were actually, they were actually friends. Uh, apart from the brawl that started at the beginning and <laughs> no, no, seriously, it was, it was great. I mean, it was, uh, especially since the, the guy who was, who was talking about Ruby, uh, Adam had been a former, you know, Microsoft developer yeah. and was you know, pretty much focused solely on Ruby these days. Uh, it was great that, you know, they already had a good relationship and, and it was really interesting to see, you know, the, the strengths and weaknesses of both approaches. So where do you find your, your five officers, these, these folks that take on the roles? Like I was just thinking about how you described how when the session, when the, the session breaks up and folks sort of taper off after the swag is given out, I, I get the sense the guys that are still there at the end of that, those are your volunteers. Yeah. There are always people who stay to the end and help you box up stuff and carry right. stuff to your car. And you maybe even go and grab a, a bite, which is just a really way to build that relationship. And you just start asking them. You have to ask. You yeah ever get a volunteer unless you ask and and i don't think uh i don't think that's any different really here than it is in in uh in other organizations you know instead of saying things like it would be really great if somebody could help us with membership you say you know hey carl i know you you come to a lot of these would you please do this and if you give them something small to do at the beginning and they come through then you know you've kind of got them hooked, right? Then you, the, then you punish them by giving them more. That's right. That's right. More until um, they crack under the strain. That's exactly right. No, nice. no, no. But uh, <laughs> you know, and it's you know, a lot of times you can tell when when the same person comes over over the course of a few meetings and they they ask you questions about things and they and you can see them getting engaged. Then you ask them, you know, okay, is this a future speaker? Maybe this is a future volunteer. Maybe it's both. Um, it's it's a lot of just being aware of the people that are there and and who's always coming. Uh, and who's, and who's getting engaged in asking those questions. And it, and it strikes me, I mean, Toy, you brought up the point that you like your user group at a size where you know all their names. I, that's got a, that's a personal statement about you as well, that <laughs> you want to know everybody that's in your group. I provide name tags, and as they come in, that's how I try to learn everyone's name, is I give them their name tags. That's how they remember their names too. I mean, let's face it. And then while we're eating our barbecue, we have about half an hour. And actually, we start at six, but people start arriving about 5.30. So there's a good spot of time for people just to chat. Yeah, that's important. That's very important. And people find jobs and, you know, all sorts of things happen during that period of time. That was my next question was about, uh, you know, do, do a lot of jobs get filled? People come with, with jobs? I, yes, it happens, happened so many times where someone will say, I, you know, I need a new job. And they just start talking to people. And by the end of the, the day, the evening, They've got a new job. I mean, when recru- seriously, when recruiters come to me and ask, or maybe not recruiters, but people who listen to the show and say, we need a .NET developer, that's the first place I tell them to go. Just go to your user group, stand up at dinner or whatever, talk about what you're offering, and somebody's going to hit it. Right. And then I usually, you know, in the hallway, say, I'm, I'm looking for two people to do this kind of a, a project and take it in the hallway, and that mm. position will be filled, and that person will have a job. So it works. It's a win-win. It is. You know, this kind of comes back to uh, two ideas, I think, which one is what's the value that people get out of participating in the community? 
And then also what's the value to, let's say, Microsoft in, in funding or, you know, to any large corporation that has an, and what's their, what's their benefit to investing in building a community around their platform, around their technology? And I think those are both kind of really, we're starting to see that, um, definitely. Uh, it's interesting. My experience was in the time that I was involved in a user group, this was up in Tulsa, my salary doubled. And so when the leaders, you know, were getting ready to move away, I, you know, the option was do we let the user group die or just pick it up and run with it? And so my choice was to pick it up and run with it um, because I just felt there was a benefit there and it kind of raised the bar for everybody. And if you look at user group, not so much in the context of that monthly meeting, but in the larger picture of the whole ecosystem, you know, if you go to Tulsa today, uh, for example, the, the uh, Chamber of Commerce does a technology expo. I think there were two people there last year. They, the user group does a tech fest and there's, you know, 700 to 1,000 people there. And it's just phenomenal where, you know, because they're connecting with developers, they're connecting with the community and really raising, you know, if you're in Tulsa today, are you going to pick Java or .NET for your platform? Well, here you have 700 people coming to a .NET conference uh, versus the alternatives. So it, it impacts, you know, Microsoft's platform. It impacts the uh, the community as a whole, really. Is this this the story of a rising tide floating all boats? That is, uh, we all, as we contribute to this community, everybody benefits. That's, that's right. So, so I actually talk with companies about this when, when they, when they want to focus, you know, create a center of excellence, a COE. And I come in, I tell them, you know, I think a center of excellence or a COE is a good idea, but I think you need to make it a culture of excellence or a community of excellence within your organization. And so having a group of people where you put all your best is fine as long as they're outwardly focused and not inwardly focused. As long as their goal is raising the bar for everybody. I think that's the key to any successful organization is not to be so focused on the survival of the organization as your number one goal, right? The number one goal is to serve. Right. And, and just to make it better across the board for right. everybody. So what haven't we covered on building communities? Uh, we've got uh, Dr. Greg Lowe's book sitting on the cable here. Uh, uh, Greg Lowe, uh, I don't think he's actually been on the show. We certainly talked to him plenty. He's a regional director. He's out of Australia. Very, very smart man. And Sequel I remember down under is Sequel Down Under is his podcast. And, and I remember talking to him about this when he was putting it together. It's just a little book. Uh, who's the publisher? Uh, it's for you. Rational Press. So Rational Press, uh, building technical user communities. And uh, uh, Toy, is this your book? No, well, I brought it. It's your copy. Yeah. It's my copy. I got yeah. it from my Netta. Actually, they mailed it, I guess, to all the user group leaders. It came from my Netta a few months ago. I actually sat down and read it last night, see if I could glean anything new. And I basically agreed with everything he said. So, <laughs> so you have to already be doing the same things. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. But all, all of those sort of fundamental stuff we've talked about here about making communities work, that's, that's what's in there. And also, one of his really good tips, if you want to start a user group, is go to user groups. Go to different user groups, and maybe not even just your technology, yeah. and just see what works. See what works and what doesn't work. Right. Yeah. That's a great tip. But And again, it's not thinking about the technology in the group, but rather the organizational It's building structure. community, yeah. Do any authors uh, or, or um, yeah, do any authors ever come out of the local user group communities, people who go to user groups and then they sort of get into the community and then they end up writing books? I know that happens. I don't know if that's the direct relationship, though. I mean, I don't, I don't know that any publishers connected. I'm sure it's happened, though. Yeah. Uh, Peter DeBetta is a publisher or an author. He's written several books on SQL, and he runs in Dallas. He runs the SQL uh, SIG, the SQL User Group here. Um, and so, you know, he's a phenomenal speaker and author and a consultant. 
So maybe the question should be phrased, do some of these authors attend the user groups, maybe? That might be, yeah, because I've had some meetings where a third of the people have written books. Yeah. Because I tend to get the higher, you know, level developers. Yeah. And a lot of them have written books. (laughs) Oh. So I don't know which way it goes. Is it the authors going to the meetings or the meetings breeding authors? Well, and there's an element here where you think, well, user groups are for beginners, aren't they? And it, you mean you just described a group that obviously is not. And and Richard has his tongue firmly planted in his cheek when he says that. <laughs> you know, there was a there was actually a concept I want to say about two years ago in the mind of even a lot of the people I worked with within Microsoft that where the concept was user groups were you know hobbyists, and I firmly disagreed with that. And so we actually polled, we actually ran some numbers on the people that were attending and asked them, you know, who do you work for? What what do you do? And what we found out of about 120 people, this was one of our larger groups, there were about 3% that were hobbyists and about 10% wow. that were from some of the largest global clients that Microsoft had. Hmm. So these were, you know, the huge accounts that they really, really, really cared about. And then everything in between were, you know, anywhere from uh, consultants that were at larger groups, people that were at smaller groups, but 97% of the people that were attending were professional developers that did this day in and day out. And so today, I really think you see the flip side. Where before you had the hobbyist, today you have the people that want to excel in their in their profession. People mm. that want to really step ahead, see this as a way of connecting with other people and also getting that really quality content that that they're not getting in that in that FaceTime with people. And so you really see the the developers that are accelerating are, are the people that are attending the user groups in a lot of cases. Uh, in everything, every every conversation I've had in the last oh I don't know few months comes around to the economy. So let me ask you this. Uh, travel is getting probably going to get more expensive. Air travel is going to get more expensive. Do you see this having a positive impact on the attendance at, at local events? In other words, are, are people going to uh, re- re- reconsider their local events instead of you flying know, I, to a bigger I, uh, event? I helped. When I say I helped start, I, I was one of the first speakers at the Northwest Arkansas User Group, and and we provided some guidance for them. And uh, I was actually just talking with someone who who came up from Fort Smith, Arkansas, to that talk, which is about a I don't know if it's a I, I'm, my geography is horrible. How far of a drive is that? It's an hour drive. Okay. Well, now they're they just started a user group in Fort Smith, Arkansas. So I don't know that that will hurt the local groups or if it will help spawn more. I was talking about the big events like the the tech eds and the and the uh, Dev Connections, the VS Lives out there. You know it. it do you think that because of the cost of travel going up or about to go up, I, I believe that plane tickets are going to get really expensive here pretty soon? Yeah, that's that's a tough one. Uh, I'd like to say no, but, uh, you know, the, the more expensive things get, the less companies are going to want to spend or maybe fewer people will get to go Yeah. Um, or you'll get to go to fewer things. I'm hoping that you know, with, with a local, with a local community and, and growing the strength of the local community that we would, that we would still be, you know, independent of any of those, uh, any of those impacts. Um, well, my point, and maybe my some point, of these would grow into bigger events as well and we could my, have my, big local events. My thinking is that the local events would be more attractive because they're cheaper to get to. Yeah. I, I agree with that. You know, I don't know that it'll hurt the, the big global events like the tech ed or the local events like the user group. But it could have an impact, let's say, on the regional events. Hmm. Um, and so, for example, I would consider today, you know, this is larger than a user group. This is more of a regional event. Yeah. But next weekend is the, you know, Tulsa School of Dev in Tulsa, 
which is a three or four hour drive for us. Mm. Then the weekend after that is the uh, Austin Code Camp. Mm. And so out of four weekends, three weekends in May for this region have what I call regional events. Yeah. And so I'm here today and I'm actually not planning on going to Tulsa. I'm not planning on going to Austin. One, because I you know, have a family and <laughs> they, hopefully they, I want them to still like me after May. Yeah. But, you know, that, <laughs> that does actually, you know, the cost of gas, I think, will impact, you know, the involvement in, you know, people that would normally drive one to two hours. Next year, the parking lot will be filled with Priuses, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, the, when the alternative is, I mean, I, I made sense to me that the Tulsa Tech Fest, which we went to back in 2006, was enormous because there really is very little other events in that area. And people drove from a long way. And I still think that's less money than getting on an airplane flying to Orlando. And then you're in Orlando. <laughs> well, that's, tr- that's definitely true. Um, but it's, I think you'll see either, you know, more events happening or, or more, like I said, more local events starting to spring up and happen, like the Arkansas user group that's taking place now, like the number of, you know, what used to be, what I used to consider regional events, but are really taking place, you know, you have your choice, right? So in May, you don't have to drive to Tulsa or to Austin. You can stay in Dallas and vice versa. Absolutely. All right. I think we're getting close to out of time here. Um, let's sort of go with the final question, which leads into the resourcing question, a good way to wrap anyway, which is I've got a community and I'm stuck. What, you know, where do I go for help to get a little bigger or to, to get over these hurdles? Well, the, the things that pop into my mind are first, I would, I would talk to the people in the community, uh, you know, ask them, getting them involved speaks to, uh, their ownership instead of it being my, my user group. It's our group. You know, here's a challenge we have, everybody. You know, let's, let's spend some time talking about it at some meeting. This, uh, this monthly meeting that, that I host for all of the user group leaders, that's a great place for them to feed back to each other. You know, hey, I've got this real challenge here. There's, a good chance that somebody else on that call has experienced something like that and can provide good uh, good guidance to you there as well. So I think I think f- from my perspective, a lot of it, you know, certainly, and I'm available to help with you know whatever I can do. Um, but but the strongest sort of support group for a user group leader is is their community and other user group leaders. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, what's important is to know your mission with your user group. Is when you form the user group, is decide what is your objective and who's your audience going to be. Because sometimes that's the problem, that they don't really know that and they just kind of waffle around and then the, the members don't really understand. And so they don't stop coming to meetings because there's no real direction. So it's very important to have that. I actually have a slide I always show at the beginning, which is our mission statement for our user group. <laughs> yeah. So that people understand, you know, what our objectives are. Yeah. And that way everyone can be on the same page and they can decide, you know, do I want to come back at that point? Because we're going to stay to that course. Our mission statement is barbecue. That's right. <laughs> and, and so, you know, there are other resources, right? I think starting with your community is, is perfect. Um, identifying your purpose, that's, that's huge. Um, it really is. And, and not so much these are the events we're going to do. It's this is our goal, what we want to accomplish. And so mm. we can pick and choose and change our events and change our format in order to accomplish our purpose. Mm. Uh, but then there are other resources, you know, connecting with Ineta uh, through Ineta.org, finding your local developer evangelist uh, through Microsoft and and regardless of the technology, because, you know, they have a mission to reach the community across the board. And so you may say, well, I'm a Ruby guy. Well, you know, he can still connect you with other people and give you help. Um, and then I don't know, you know, there are other 
support, what I would call community support organizations out there, uh, for other platforms and, you know, forums and online. Uh, there's, there's a lot of resources out there today. Well, uh, did you have one last comment? Well, yeah, before we end this, can I put in a plug for my new event that's coming up? Please. All right. This past January, as many as you know, we ran a charity event. We called it We Are Microsoft Charity Challenge Weekend. I know a lot of people here were at that event. And what we did was we matched up charities with developers for a fun-filled weekend of development. Chris was there with his little pop tent. <laughs> a fun-filled weekend of development. So you wrote code for organizations? Yeah, there were 18 nonprofits. 84 developers, and we wrote code all weekend. Like built websites for them, yes. et cetera? Yes, mostly oh, we built cool websites. Yes. Excellent. So the plan is to do that again this coming January, Martin Luther King weekend. And what's the website for that? We are Microsoft.com. Excellent. Chris, Toy, and Caleb, thank you very much for being on the show. Big hand of, uh, round of applause for our panel. And we'll see you next time on Dot .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter